here for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hey folks, just a quick note on this episode We spent most of the time talking about the unfolding situation in Iran. We recorded this on Monday night, and there have been many developments since then. We decided to still air this interview because I think most of the stuff that we talked about is ongoing and will provide some valuable insight into things to look out for in media coverage and how things reached the point that they did on Monday. That said, we will address updates in our episode next week. Thank you so much, and I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Hello, and welcome back to Reply, guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. Man, what a week in uh, leftist feminist comedy podcast topics. <laughs> oh, by the way, I should say I'm Kate Willett. I'm Julia Clare. It is always a week, but boy, was this a fucking week, and it's the very beginning of... 2020 i thought that the biggest event that happened was uh jacobin's review of little women <laughs> um, that was the biggest thing that happened in my world personally yeah i mean it's very woke to drag little women. <laughs> you know women in the 1800s lean in lean in feminism, lean in feminism famously corporate um, feminists all right we're not gonna spend too long on this but uh we um that's yeah, yeah that's just that's just a little silly you know jacobin uh has some jacobin for folks who don't know is a uh, a leftist magazine a socialist magazine if you're listening to us you probably know who they are yeah you know and I, i've honestly really liked a lot of what they've written like they've they've had some really good pieces uh you know, i've defended them including i've defended uh their coverage of uh elizabeth warren i've, I've thought that for the most part it has uh been you know pretty focused on policy stuff as compared to uh the centrist media which is like is she too angry but you know i know julia has been mad about it and uh <laughs> i but Famously. you know but this uh this little women movie review uh really brought kate and i together on yeah on, we, we both did not like it um, on eye rolling at jacobin all right uh this week, oh my gosh, uh, we have such a good guest. We are joined by Nima Shirazi, who is the host of Citations Needed, and we got to talk to him for a long time. We took up so much of his time, you have no idea. Uh, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, he's really great and smart. He's so but, good. Uh, please give it a listen. He's really good at explaining what's going on right now and the media narratives around it, uh, what you can see and expect from various politicians. Um, great interview. Give it a listen. So we are here with Nima Shirazi from Citations Needed, uh, which is my favorite leftist podcast. It's like all of the amazing leftist media analysis and uh, none of the... None, none of, the, of the garbage. None of the bro. <laughs> yeah. They don't bro. That's our motto. They just, they just analyze. They I've don't actually bro. Been, been binging it and it's so it's so good so refreshing i'm i'm thrilled to talk to you today um uh you know in this in this week of just international inaction uh just nothing going on yeah no i mean which is why i'm thrilled to be here to talk about the golden globe <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah michelle williams speech now we know how to do feminism and i'm yeah, so grateful been waiting <laughs> uh, um we're all gonna watch fossey verdun together um 
<laughs> well, exactly. uh, you know, as uh, Kate and I have uh, t- talked about this in our in our intro, a lot going on uh, with the U.S. and Iran in the past week um, with the uh, the drone strike that killed Qasem Soleimani. And we thought Kate and I uh, may not be the best people to speak on this. We try our best, but we wanted to enlist the help of someone who really knows what they're talking about. So uh, that's where you come in. (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) No, thank you so much for uh, for for having me. I am uh, I'm a big, big fan of the show and uh, was thrilled when you asked. Oh, oh, uh, yay. Thank you so much. Um, So. One of the things I've really enjoyed on Citations Needed has been your ongoing coverage of how Iran is covered in the media, um, more like corporate media, New York Times, MSNBC, um, and sort of like the like, what are some of the common tropes that actually have uh, imperialist and pro-war undertones that people should look out for? Hmm. Well, um, let's see where to start. <laughs> um, let's uh, we could start in 1906 or 1953 or 1979 yeah. or the past four decades. Um, I think, you know, the 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 basic uh, posture of corporate media um, eff- effectively starts from the premise of, OK, look, we can all agree that Iran is unconditionally evil, that it is anti-American and therefore um, and therefore bad for the world. They are a bad actor in the rough neighborhood of the Middle <laughs> East um, and should certainly uh, not have anything to say about what goes on in its own region and should really just... Um, s- you know, uh, get out of the way while the real rulers of the world um, can just go about their business. So that's like the given premise. That's like basically when you hear Iran, it's like an automatic dog whistle because of the four decades of endless propaganda um, that has that has followed uh, the 1979 uh, Iranian revolution. Uh, possibly one of the most um, embarrassing uh, defeats, I think, for U.S. empire, and one that uh, one that uh, the United States government um, and its officials and many uh, many Americans um, uh, have have never have never forgotten, and 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 have certainly not forgiven um, uh, for not only the 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 overthrow of the of the U.S. backed Shah in 79 um and then the establishment of an islamic republic uh but certainly um if not those things then absolutely the uh november 4th 1979 uh taking of the u.s embassy in tehran which lasted uh 444 days and which the u.s uh was effectively powerless to stop uh in all that time um and so this was really the um you know, uh, one of the main catalysts for the fact that uh, Iran can never be seen uh, as anything other than like primordially evil um, under the under the 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 current government, the post Shah government, which is now forty years old. I mean, that's a long time. Um, but this this is a long standing grudge, and so 
you see it pop in and out of the of of the media time and again, and no more so than when um you know there is actual uh violence or there's something about the uh nuclear program which is completely misunderstood of course um but uh what winds up happening is there's a shortcut there and there's a shorthand that is used in media um to get to the real uh point which is the continuance of US empire and hegemony uh in the middle east and elsewhere and so with the, the like starting with that premise Anything Iran does is going to be suspect or be viewed from that lens because, of course, they're not allowed to have their own interests. They're not allowed to care about what happens um, in the countries surrounding them that actually affect uh, their population. That's a that's a no, no. Um, and so you see that no more so than uh, with the assassination of Ghassem Soleimani, um, who is the head of the Quds Force, um, one of the elite um, military arms of the Islamic Re- Revolutionary Guard Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, and so there's this immediate kind of reaction of, you know, uh, the same kind of thing. Look, 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 we can all agree he was an evil, evil man and deserved to die. But what we really should be talking about is how that happened, right? So it becomes like a process critique rather than an ideological one or one uh, about uh, whether it's international law or maybe just don't murder people with drones. Yeah, it's it's very bizarre uh, how often in discussions of foreign policy or war, the idea of not murdering people is on the table or discussed mm-hmm. like it, that it feels like it's a taboo to bring up the idea that, you know, perhaps we just shouldn't kill people. It's right. wrong to do that. Right. And it's it's so interesting, the kind of the posturing of the media narrative in terms of. It, the scale of the of Iran and the United States, like acting, you know, I, I hear the phrase that Iran bullies the United States or something <laughs> like that over and over and over again. That's like saying that David bullied Goliath, in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. But going back to to Kate's point over and over again, what we heard so many people on the right and like Democrat and Republican senators, Congress people say is is prefacing and caging all of their statements with. Uh, Qasem Soleimani was um, a bad actor. He was a, Mm -hmm. um, some called him a terrorist. Some said like he had U.S. blood on his hands. But that lacks the context of the fact that obviously so do do all of our highest ranking generals. (laughs) Um, And also the fact that that has always been true. That was true under President Obama and under President Bush, both of whom decided not to strike against him because um, taking out high-ranking generals in that way, it's really difficult to overstate what a catastrophic foreign policy <laughs> decision that we... It's not something that we've done since World War II when we took out a high-ranking uh, Japanese general. Right, but let's also remember that in World War II, there was a war declared between the United States and Japan. Right. uh, And the other, you know, Axis powers, of course. But um, there, and and not to be naive about this, obviously there, you know, cold wars can become hot fast. Um, The United States has been threatening and attacking and sanctioning and uh, surveilling and sabotaging uh, Iran uh, for for decades, basically. But... um, but there is no 
official hostilities between the two countries. Like it's 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 so so it's it's a it's a different it's a different act than say um you know and there are all sorts of problems of course with uh, war on terror um uh you know concepts of the world is is a is a battlefield right but um but even on paper or or even like in in a way rhetorically um the united states killing like someone uh like a high ranking person in isis or in al qaeda or you know during um the you know uh invasion and occupation of iraq like iraqi officials like not that that's good in the you know in like writ large like it's just it, probably not great to kill people but but at least in those situations there was like declared hostilities between those two countries the united states and iran are not officially at war right so to do this i mean is 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 um you know i think there there are still different power dynamics here but even to make uh, uh, the crudest of analogies um if a like the you know highest ranking cia official or if mike pompeo or so, like someone like that um were assassinated in in tel aviv uh while having you know high ranking meetings with israeli officials and the assassination came from, you know, whether it was um, Hamas or Hezbollah or uh, Iran or, you know, what, like whatever, like let, just make even like the crudest analogy that would be understood by people who are like really gung ho about this. Um, and you realize like what a fucked up thing this is to have done um, because like those countries are not actually at war. I mean, which is actually what makes those situations slightly different but like even even crudely this is this is a an, an odd thing to have happened to put it lightly yeah <laughs> so and you know me asking this question is it's, it's going to be fodder for the sexists who ironically listen to our podcast but i really i don't understand why did why did we do this like what the what the hell was the trump administration's mm -hmm. motivation for doing this um I mean, the the thing that's, that kind of struck me um, over the past few days, kind of watching this play out, is how, in a way, everything that the Trump administration does, and by that I mean Donald Trump, um, <laughs> yeah. is just so unsophisticated um, in, its, in its motivation. And so I think, you know, the prime motivation for doing this um, is it like falls in line with the primary motivation of Donald Trump running for president, um, accidentally winning. Um, and then uh, like basically his entire uh, administration to this point has just been like the anti Obama show. Right. And, you know, I would love there to be an anti-Obama show, but like not this kind. <laughs> you Different know? Like, anti -Obama there's plenty show. of stuff that I would love to change about that administration and what Obama did, but like not this way, like to the other side. Um, but like what Trump does is everything to undo the Obama legacy is the prime mover, the prime motivation of what he's doing, which is why, you know, you pull out of the Iran deal. Um, you uh shut down all sort of uh communications which had 
been reestablished, even the most kind of uh, tenuous ones uh, between these these two countries. Um, and uh, and so everything that was, you know, not going to happen, that would that 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 was just seen as being like, well, I mean, obviously, you're not going to do that because uh, murdering Soleimani is like not where we want to go right now. Um, as a, like, as a foreign policy decision that is, like, really, really, uh, fucked up to do and will have serious implications. It's also like, just don't do that. Um, which is why, you know, right, as you said, like, during the Bush administration, Obama administration, um, that, that was not, that was not done. And, uh, and let me come back to that point in, in a second, because I think there are problems with even thinking about that as if, the Bush and Obama administrations somehow exercised restraint, which they did yeah, not. Yeah. So I don't want that to, that, that's not the narrative I'm, I'm uh, su- suggesting here. But, uh, but in terms of Trump, it's, it's basically like, you know, given a menu of options of shit to do, he'll be like, what's the thing that like Obama absolutely would not do? Like, wh- like what's the thing that, that will be most detrimental to that legacy? Um, and then, you know, and then he gets patted on the back for it with his, uh, with, you know, the base. But not only that, um, fully supported in so many uh, media circles um, where the response is not, holy shit, what the fuck just happened? Are you serious? But rather, can you believe that Congress was not informed? Yeah. Or, or you know, like... Maybe that was a good thing to do, but what's the strategy afterwards? And it's just this, it's just this hand-wringing bullshit um, that doesn't actually address the real issue. And just to kind of circle back quickly to the Bush and Obama thing, um, something that I, I think is, is, is lost in all of the coverage um, about the Soleimani assassination is that um, it's not like this was, it's, 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 it's not like this was a, high-valued clandestine target that, um, oh my God, he surfaced somewhere and this is a once-in-a-lifetime shot where you just have to do it um, because you'll never see him again. He's, you know, he'll, like, blend in and disappear within, like, the local community and, like, he's this, you know, uh, mysterious entity, right? Uh, quite the contrary. Everyone knows who, who this guy is. Um, he travels freely around uh, the region, meeting with top officials in many, many countries. Um, journalists who cover Soleimani and Iranian politics in the in the region, like know where he's going to be because then they show up at press conferences. Like, like this this is a this is something that happened because Donald Trump decided to kill someone. Yeah, and when you have trillions and trillions of of you know, dollars of, of military equipment and surveillance equipment, like, yeah, Donald Trump can literally kill any single human on the planet, like, right now. Like, that, that can happen. But it's a matter of, like, should that happen? Why is this happening? That should not happen. Um, and so there's this, there's this idea that this was somehow, you know, an amazing and, in, in a way, heroic act that, like, some drone operator in, in Nevada you know, uh, shot a missile near the Baghdad airport. But, you know, this was not some mysterious thing. It was just, it was just extrajudicial murder. Like, that's just what it is. Right. And it's, you know, you, you talked about how this is, 
at its core, this is a this has like rippling foreign policy implications, and it's uh, it's a little troubling that uh, at this present moment we essentially have no State Department. Um, so you, this is to me, this is a natural uh, kind of cause and effect of what happens mm-hmm. when your military budget is absolutely astronomical and you've slashed. Every diplomat and every kind of non-military foreign policy uh, kind of strategic operation within an inch of its life. Um, But that kind of brings me to to another question, which is um, from a lot of the reports that I've seen, the assassination of Soleimani is they're they're reporting that it was caused uh, because. Uh, he posed some sort of threat to American interests. He was kind of actively threatening uh, American interests in Iraq. Uh, and how likely is that to have just been like a backfilled justification? Um, so, but even even if that is true, how can we trust any military intel um, in the context of the false narrative that we were sold with the Iraq War? Sure. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> in a in a way, um, <laughs> the 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 story is self reinforcing in in that um, in that I would agree <laughs> that uh, Ghassem Soleimani's um, uh, motivation in in part um, uh, was yeah to <laughs> to have a negative impact in general. On American interests, yeah, I actually think that's true. Yeah, but that makes sense because he doesn't work for the United States. Yeah, yes. he works for the country who uh, the United States has been targeting for forty years, and uh, the United States has been uh, in you know invading and occupying uh, the two neighbors uh, surrounding Iran uh, for now uh, you know decades, and so um, the idea that uh, like oh well. You know, uh, Soleimani did not have America's best interests at heart. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. Yeah. But um, you know, but at the same time, uh, as you as as you as you rightly point out, uh, the story that then uh seemed to have been woven after the fact that the media then regurgitated wholesale without uh really uh you know whiff of skepticism was that Soleimani was in Iraq. Um, plotting the deaths of Americans and posed an imminent threat. Now, mm. this is a this is a key point, right? That when U.S. officials and then media repeat the idea that there was an imminent threat, what that does is it kind of adds the patina of legitimacy to any act that is then taken because it then changes from, uh, or like you know, narratively, the story changes from an aggressive act to an act of self-defense. Right. So if there's an imminent threat that you can, you know, uh, point to, and by point to, I mean literally just say the words imminent threat because literally there's no evidence that there was. Um, And to which Americans? The ones that are in a country they don't belong in? Uh, Okay. But but even when you throw out that line and uh, like an imminent threat, um, that's, that's a line that, you know, even in like the UN charter is a way... Um, kind of like a get out of jail free card for countries to, um, 
you know, attack other countries militarily uh, if there was an imminent threat. Otherwise, it is illegal under international right. law, which obviously the United States doesn't really give a shit about. But but at least there's that there's that, um, you know, there's that kind of a, a official uh, take on it. Um, but once you say there was an imminent threat, it is, you know, changes from from being aggressive to being responsive. And so I think, you know, it's always important to kind of note the language that is being used, not only by um, officials, but then repeated ad nauseum in our media uh, with without being scrutinized, um, because then you realize what the story has has turned into, you know, almost immediately um, after uh, Soleimani was uh, killed, um, all the all the headlines. And all the punditry on cable um, and the and the op eds that you saw were about what Iran was going to do now, right? Yeah, and and the and the and the fear in the American public, and you saw um, uh, police departments across the country, coast to coast, from LAPD to the NYPD, uh, posting. Um, on their Twitter feeds and making official statements through governors and mayors um, across the country saying we are monitoring uh, threats to the public safety based on recent developments in Iran. Now, granted, the assassination happened in Iraq, but if you say Iran, it's scarier. Um, and so uh, we will, y- you know, uh, be sending out more more cops to uh, secure your town and uh, to key sites. And if, uh, of course, if you see anything, uh, say something, right? If you see something, say something. And so uh, the the supposed, quote unquote, like terror threat winds up being then exploited um, when it's, it's a complete inversion of actually what happened. <laughs> like um, the United States killed an Iranian. Not the other way around. Yeah, we're the bully. But then it becomes like, we're we're now the victims, right? We're the victims. We have to hunker down. And now every Iranian uh, is like a, you know, sleeper cell waiting to be activated. Yeah, they're already, I think, harassing people at the border as well. One thing that has come to mind uh, as a parallel to the uh, lead up to the Iraq war is uh, the... Like the fake weapons of mass destruction. One thing that I learned on Citations Needed actually is that there is actually that Iran. Uh, there's no real evidence to suggest that Iran has plans to try to acquire a nuclear weapon. Like aside from like whether it's whether it's like our right to say whether they can or mm-hmm. can't, which like I I don't think it's our business, but. Um, it seems like there's no plans to do that and that the both the discourse from the media and from politicians has been um, a lot centered centered around like we must prevent them from getting a nuclear mm-hmm. weapon. Oh, of course. I mean, for for decades now, the um, you know, the 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 narrative has been that Iran desperately is trying to acquire nukes and uh, that we must do everything we can to stop them. Um, but as you said, there is literally no evidence that Iran, um, ever had, uh, an active nuclear weapons program. Uh, they have a civilian nuclear energy program that, uh, is the most monitored and surveilled and, and officially supervised, uh, on planet earth by the, uh, International Atomic, 
um, Energy Agency, the IAEA. Uh, they are an original signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty uh, from 1968 through now, still um, have the strictest safeguards in place um, and no diversion of nuclear material uh, to military purposes has ever, ever, ever been found. Um, and so, uh, you know, what you what you hear and it, you know, it's it's a it's a bipartisan chorus. What you hear, um, you know, is that. What was so great about the Iran nuclear deal um, is that it prevented Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. Now, Iran, uh, since the since the 80s, uh, since, you know, just after the revolution, um, has made clear repeatedly that it has no interest in uh, obtaining a nuclear weapon uh, or an arsenal of 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 nuclear weapons for a host of reasons. Uh, from the religious and ethical to the strategic and political. Um, and, you know, look, you don't have to believe the decades of consistently repeated statements and the zero evidence showing anything to the contrary. You don't have to believe that. But the idea that, you know, the Iran deal has, has, has done this and now the rolling back of the Iran deal presents an Iran that uh, again desperately wants nukes and now can get them further enhances a, a, a ridiculous narrative. You know the idea that uh, the Iran deal being touted as having solved a problem that didn't actually exist in the first place, and so it gives license to commentators to say that now that the Iran deal um, has been blown up by the Trump administration, not by uh, the Iranian government, mind you, by the Trump administration, um, everything Iran now does that has to do with its nuclear uh, energy program, which it is uh, legally permitted to do, um, and which is still supervised and, and, and monitored, um, that, uh, you know, any, anything that they may choose to, to do is, is now, uh, I think I saw somewhere some, some congressman said, oh, well, now, you know, post-assassination, post uh, now Iran can accelerate their nuclear weapons program. And it's like, but they don't have a nuclear weapons program, right. so there's nothing to accelerate. But it's just believed wholesale that you can get away with repeating all this bullshit. And that's on. been the justification for sanctions as well, right? That they're trying oh, to yeah. build a nuclear weapons program. I mean, even I think like most Democratic senators v voted to sanction Iran based on the idea that they were somehow developing nuclear weapons. Is that true? Yeah, I mean the the sanctions regimes that were repeatedly put on Iran uh were just a version of economic warfare uh because Iran refused to do exactly what the United States and Israel were demanding uh which was contrary to their own inalienable rights under international law. You know, I mean under the NPT, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, um which has been signed by I think all but like six countries on earth, um and the ones that that haven't signed, uh, five of them have uh, like clandestine nuclear weapons programs. Um, Iran is an original signatory, as I said, is still part of the treaty. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in like as part of the language of the treaty, it says that um, every country on Earth has the inalienable right to pursue uh, a civilian nuclear uh, energy program. 
Uh, now, you know, we can debate the value of nuclear energy. Um, I have my own thoughts about that. But uh, but in terms of in terms of the, you know, legal precedent for that, um, no country can tell another country uh, that it can't generate energy using nuclear, you know, uh, using fissile material. It's just a matter of how, you know, how they're able to do that. And the fact that Iran built, even under the strictest economic sanctions, uh, built and maintained a full uh, nuclear fuel cycle from the mining of uh, uranium to the actual, you know, creation of nuclear energy um, has been maddening to the United States and uh, some of its uh, best friends um, because they don't want Iran to be self-sufficient. They don't want the scientific know-how, and they're able to spin that into fear-mongering about the weaponization of such a program. Every single nuclear energy program can be weaponized. It's just a matter of the political will of that country's leadership to do so or not. And so um, when you consistently claim that what Iran doesn't want is energy and what they do want is, uh, you know, this nuclear weapon uh, trump card to what, I guess, then dominate the world? I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, you know, end, end kind of made up goal of Iran having one or two nuclear weapons uh, would even be in this kind of fever dream of fear mongering. But, you know, uh, because <laughs> even, even hypothetically, if Iran created one, one nuclear weapon, like it's not, but let's say it did, it would need to test the new, like that happens. There's nuclear testing, right? So then they would test it. So it would go from one to zero, like immediately. Yeah. And so, um, like the the entire the entire story is so bogus and and ridiculous but what it really does serve to do is continue to show Iran um as this kind of ultimate evil looking for the most destructive genocidal weapons and therefore we must do everything we can to uh contain and deter and punish them into submission and so you see and as as you actually said like this is this is bipartisan right like Democratic politicians love to sign up for Iran sanctions because it makes them look tough. There's this enemy that they, you know, post-Cold War, there's like a new uh, terrifying enemy that they can point to. Um, but what that does, every single sanctions vote, every single talking point about Iran being evil and a huge threat and an existential threat to blah, 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 serves the war narrative. So then you get this, you get the Soleimani assassination. And all the heavy lifting for Iran being enemy number one, for Iran posing the, you know, most egregious threat to Americans and whomever else around the world, like, the, all of that narrative work is already done. It's already embedded in our political and media um, structures. And so all you need to do is do the next thing. And then you get Democratic politicians like up in arms being like, well, we don't want to go to war. It's like, yeah, but you're, but you literally said everything up until war was okay. Yeah. And you know? it, yeah. Um, I would, uh, you know, I, I agree with Katie or I think that uh, in yourself, that sanctions are a form of warfare uh, within them. I mean, the, the Iranian economy was uh, in a lot of ways crippled by those sanctions. And also correct me if I'm wrong here, but, um, in some of the reading that I've done about the Iran deal, even after Trump ripped it up, uh, Iran continued complying with mm -hmm. the regulations 
that had been initially put in place because they're not just it's not like once the U.S. goes away that like there are no eyes on Iran anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the one of the things that I think is 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 missed a lot is that um, the Iran deal, um, the JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, um, as it is officially known, uh, but the Iran deal it was not a like an accord between the Iran be, be, between Iran and the United States only, right? right? Like. Um, there were other countries involved. It was fully endorsed by the UN and and the and the EU. Um, and um, you know, but it but it was this kind of um, it was this like cipher basically for some sort of reestablishment of uh, communication and diplomacy between the US and Iran because the other countries uh, that were um, you know uh, signatories to the to the agreement. I mean, still, still have diplomatic relations with Iran. Uh, the United States does not and has not for now four decades. And so this w- that, that's why it kind of has this outsized importance. Um, but the accord itself is not just a bilateral um, treaty or a- agreement, rather. Um, you know, there are other parties involved. And so, yeah, I mean, just as you say, it's not like, well, the U.S. pulled out, so then Iran... Uh, rips it all up. Iran complied strictly to the letter of the accord um, for for a year after Trump tore it up and 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 pulled the U.S. out. Um, and even under Obama and through Trump, obviously, um, Iran never got its side of the deal. Like the U.S. got its side of the deal. Uh, the other countries got their side of the deal, which was um, super uh, strict monitoring of Iran's entire nuclear fuel cycle which Iran had no problem granting um but the but the the other side of it was the full lifting of sanctions and the reestablishment of normal trade relations and the United States uh Im- immediately after the signing and then still now uh prevented the 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 full implementation of that side of it and so Iran really stuck to an agreement that it was not reaping the benefits from for way longer than I think anyone uh, would under under other circumstances. Um, and yet now, you know, Iran makes a decision to uh, decrease its participation. Um, still, you know, it's still being monitored. It's still safeguarded. Um, it's still a signatory to the NPT, but it's not going to do all the things that are under that accord. It's now been, you know. Uh, a year and a half since since Trump pulled out, and yet you get headlines in the New York Times, uh, written by you know the the guys that do this all the time, William Broad and 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 David Sanger, you know, saying, oh well, Iran poses a challenge to the United States by uh reducing its commitment to the Iran deal. It's like the, the U.S. already fucking pulled out. Like it's 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 so it's so absurd. Um. In its in its like like kind of unsophistication, right? Like it's so unsophisticated uh, on on every level. What Trump is doing, and also then how the media is just parroting this idea that somehow we are always victims of Iran. Somehow, just just like Iran is always getting the upper hand, is always the threat to us. No matter how many Iranians we kill, no matter how many. 
uh, sanctions we impose, no matter how many Iranian cancer patients can't get medicine uh, because of our sanctions, no matter how many people can't get adequate food because of sanctions. Um, like that never that never matters. It's it's always then somehow Iran is playing this like master, you know, chess game or like backgammon game against the U.S. And like the U.S. can never do anything. And therefore, you know, Iran can can then maintain its supreme uh, evil stature in our in our, you know, kind of like like warped political and media world. Right. And and I've seen a lot of conservative and more like neoliberal media kind of portraying the uh, the drone strike that killed Soleimani as self-defense, essentially, um, because it or like re- retaliation against um, a missile strike that killed one uh, American soldier. But and, and, you know, the the attacks on the American embassy in uh, Baghdad have been have been brought up as well. But that also fails to take into the count to account the fact again once again that the sanctions have so crippled Iran's economy and i just see over and over and over again again as you said this media narrative that always makes the united states the victim which is absolutely bonkers considering mm-hmm. we are like we can't have it both ways we can't be a victim of a of a country that is one 1000th one of our size and also be like constantly brag about being the most powerful country in the world. Yeah, no, no, exactly. It's like it's like no one no one can touch us because we're we're so tough. And then like except Iran exists, which yeah. means we're terrified all the time. It's like it's 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 completely it's it's completely absurd on its on its face. And I mean, you know, um the idea that uh yeah, I mean as 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 you've been saying, the the notion that um because someone is said to have have blood on their hands somehow becomes uh like an automatic death sentence that is completely justified right yeah. like like it it's not it if it's a it's a complete um like uh opening opening statement i i i called it a a couple days ago like a like a throat a throat clearing um, it's kind of like a tick that the media and that politicians do. And um, in like, in like, well, you know, look, he had, he had blood on his hands. Like the world is safer without him. Uh, but blah, 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 blah. And then they continue. But yeah, I mean, how about we just start employing that across the board? Like every time, uh, you're going to talk about, uh, you know, Joe Biden, you're like, look, you know, we all know Joe Biden is an evil man who has the blood of over a million Iraqi civilians on his hands because he like led the charge to the war. Right. Well, to be fair, we do say that on this show every day. We it is one of the main, main themes of our show. So it's actually yeah. it's actually the theme song of our show is that Joe Biden <laughs> Joe has Biden the blood is a murderer of a million Iraqis on his hands. Right. No, exactly. Like like if we just kind of started employing that, I think I would probably care a little less about that throat clearing knee jerk reaction that everyone has. Like, you, you know, when when, you know, uh, official quote unquote U.S. enemies um, are are described, it's like the, you know, uh, Homeric epithet like, oh, well, you know, Soleimani, uh, you know, 
<laughs> rises with the dawn and spreads his bloody fingers across the <laughs> oh Middle God. East. Like, you know, like, like it's just this automatic tick. And we just go along with it. And we're like, yeah, sure, okay. But then, like, yeah, you know, but I don't think Ellen DeGeneres is introducing, like, George W. Bush on her show, like, grooving with him, being like, hey, so now for our next murderer, yeah. uh, we're going to talk to my friend George. Like, that just, it doesn't happen. And so it just kind of gives gives away the game. I would, it's like, I oh, would, right. Like, some people are just, de- like, deemed to be, you know, like, they can be killed, and, and that is fine. And other people... Do do not have that same kind of same kind of scrutiny. Yeah, you've been talking about some of the cliches and responses, but I was wondering if you could talk about the specific responses we've seen from various presidential candidates and anything notable about any of those. Um, I mean, I think right out of the gate, you saw a lot of what we've been discussing, right? The the kind of Biden, Buttigieg, even even Warren right out front kind of said you know uh an evil man is gone and then had some sort of uh process critique um you know which are kind of like vaguely hand wave at being anti-war but it's not actually anti-war it's just anti-trump yeah. so it's like it's like whatever he did is uncool but like the overall thing that happened, I don't really have a problem with it. It's just that he did it or the way that he did it. Um, so, you know, I think um, uh, you saw that pretty much across the board. Unsurprisingly, certainly Cory Booker did it. I think uh, I was just very generous calling Cory Booker like still a candidate. Yeah. But, uh, you know, hey, uh, good for him. But um, I think... Two two of the candidates uh, in their first statements like didn't do that. Uh, one was Andrew Yang, which I only know about uh, because when I when I was talking about this uh, on Twitter, like as it was happening, all these like Yang fans <laughs> came out of the fucking word work and they were like, Andrew Yang didn't. Andrew Yang didn't. I was like, yeah, OK, um, sure. <laughs> you know, um, it happens to Julia too. Julia gets piled on by the Yang Gang all the time. The, Yang, the I'm like I'm like over here just like shaking my head. The Yang Gang is like just so prolific in my mentions. You have no idea. They introduced yeah, no, it's, Julia it's as a murderer. It's actually impressive. Yeah, yeah. I am I am their war criminal. Yeah. I am the Yang Gang's war criminal. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Yang Yang didn't. Uh, although it was very sort of you know uh, like the 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 cost of war, right? Um, and, and then un- unsurprisingly, I guess at, at this point, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, didn't, didn't really play that game in the same, in the same way, um, as, as some of the others. And to, to her credit, I, I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't actually want to gloss over this. Like to, to her credit, Elizabeth Warren has since, um, kind of adjusted some of the, some of the messaging. Um, I don't find that to be particularly disingenuous actually i think there's like there's a way that you can come out of the gate and be like actually you know what like i think that's maybe not the best way to phrase that um also i think she saw that that was maybe not the best way to phrase that uh and that it didn't go over well so you know uh, look i I don't want to not pretend that these people are running campaigns uh because they absolutely are but um but bernie's uh statement right out of the right out of the gate was um i think the the certainly the best one that that I saw, um, he 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 certainly 
made it about um opposing these movements toward war and uh you know um that these things should not happen that this is uh, absolutely dangerous that this is um something the united states did he didn't have to preface it um with this like hand-wringing iran is bad thing um to perpetuate certain narratives that just then wind up uh wind up you know reinforcing um what the administration what the media is already doing and so i think he's very sensitive to that or whoever's running his uh, twitter account is sensitive to that um and and i think birdie did a good job i mean he's tweeted a bunch about it um since you know and has actually done some of the like congressional authorization stuff or the uh you know staggering cost of war um but i think that uh but i think that right out of the gate um he drew connections with uh what we're seeing uh on iran now with 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 what we saw um with iraq um which 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 makes sense and i think it's a you know it's a it's a good way to um to really you know shine shine the right kind of light on 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 what is happening here i agree i i think that he had the strongest uh statement out of the gate i i will say that um the way that i think the centrist media has um it, it, it's so interesting to to hear the the different ways that uh that we look at things because I saw uh, Chris Silliza from CNN was saying that um, Elizabeth Warren refuses to say one bad word about Qasem Soleimani. Uh, <laughs> and that's like a result obviously of like the postscript of, of a lot of her tweets about this. Um, but I did find Pete Buttigieg's because like, I like even I, I'm not super comfortable with, uh, with her prefacing her statement with like, Suleimani was a murderer, even though that's like objectively true, I'm sure. But like Pete Buttigieg really took it a step further and he was like, no one will shed a tear for the death <laughs> yeah. of Qasem Suleimani. I was like, go back. Like, yeah, Jesus. To, like, oh, my go back God. To McKinsey, you like like fake like Afghanistan war yeah. enlistee. It's, like, it's ridiculous. Um, we only have one final question for you, and that is, is Pete Buttigieg in the CIA? We want the definitive <laughs> answer. Definitive answer? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. For sure. <laughs> I knew it. I mean, for sure. For sure. <laughs> that guy. That guy has spook written all. It's uh, come on. It's like, it's it's almost like he's the worst spy in the world <laughs> <laughs> because it's because it's so painfully obvious. Uh, yeah. No, I think he's he's definitely he's 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 definitely a key asset. Um, Nima, thank you so much for coming on Reply, guys. Where can our listeners find you? They can find me, let's see, um, certainly uh, on the, the little podcast that I co-host with, uh, with my good friend Adam Johnson called Citations Needed. Being modest, uh, it's not little, it's great. <laughs> please, please do. Uh, you can follow the show uh, at Citations Pod. Um, uh, and you can follow me uh, personally uh, on the Twitter machine at Wide Asleep Nima. Um, and yeah, you know, hey, shit, I'm around. Well, Nima, thank you so much. Um, and uh, thank you for coming on. And absolutely uh, check out Citations Pod. It's so good. We love it. We love it. We stand. We stand. <laughs> well, thank you endlessly uh, from me to you. Uh, this was this was my pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is yours.